at the start of the week and a busy old day on the radio. This is Playback Daily. I'm Carol Moran and here's what you might have missed. I'm really interested in talking to you about tumble dryers because the tumble dryer has become the enemy in my house. Nobody's allowed to touch it. Nobody's allowed to look at it in case it uses too much energy. They yeah. they are gobblers, aren't they? They're the biggest for in a, in a household. They, are, they use massive amounts of energy. And when you get the letter when, when it comes in the door, what's your initial feeling? Panic panic you see the heading on the paper on the letter and your stomach just turns now robins are they're adorable but they do have a habit that if another male walks into a male's territory they have a tendency to rip out their throat all right yeah <laughs> <laughs> And we'll start on today with Claire Byrne and the cost of running appliances at home. And yes, you might think twice about using your tumble dryer. We're being told, aren't we, to brace ourselves for a prolonged energy crisis and our bills are already going up. So we're looking at ways to try and reduce our energy use. But to do that, you need to know which appliances burn through the most and the least electricity. Many of these are in the kitchen or connected to the kitchen. Phil Smith, physicist and engineer with UCD Discovery and Simple Science, has been crunching the numbers and he's here in the studio now, Phil, you're very welcome. I just want to ask you first about these labels, the energy rating label on an appliance, because it's important that we understand these things. Yes, the more information you have, the more informed you are, the more you can make a better decision and know what you're using and how much energy it's using itself. The The old system used to be a bit confusing because not only, well, it was colour coded, so that's that's visually as good, but the top four levels were A, A+, A++, and A++. Right. So you're kind of going, oh, I have an A-rated appliance, and that means it must be really efficient, when the level reality was that it was actually four levels down from how, innovation, or how efficient it was. The EU has introduced a, a new system, so instead of having all those A's at the top, now goes from A all the way to G. So there's no pluses anymore. More. No pluses, so it's it's a different system. So rather than so the, the ratings are kind of in, intrinsically the same, but they've just kind of changed the scale to be a little bit more easy to understand. So if it's time to buy a new appliance, what you need to be looking for is an A-rated appliance. Uh, uh, the, yes, the best you can afford, or like obviously, it tends to be like the, the, the newer you buy it. It also depends, obviously, um, what's available to you as well. But the difference, you know, instead of trying to figure out is an A as good as an A plus, or having that confusion, you'll definitely know that a B. And see have a difference. Okay. Uh, well, let's go through some of the appliances sure. now. So the most used one, really, I suppose, for many people is the washing machine. Are they expensive to run? Yes, and we we did this even on the on the on the TV show. You did before. show me how to load the washing machine, yeah, I know. and I never forgot it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Put the hand in, turn it for That's the. That's it, because oh. I I always assumed that you pack the washing machine. That was the way to do it, but it's not. You have to have space for your hand to turn. Exactly. So yeah, and that's the difference. For a dishwasher, yeah, you're looking to fully load it as well to get the most out of it. Washing machine, if you overload it, two medium loads will actually be more efficient than overloading a washing machine because it needs that more energy and actually you have to turn it round as well. So the temperature though is the biggest difference. Any appliance that you're using that heats and heats water in particular is going to use more energy. A lot of the things that you have have an eco mode that would, you know, heat it more steadily over time or introduce it. Sometimes eco modes, though, on different things can actually use a little bit more electricity depending, particularly if you have that overloaded setting and then you go, I've overloaded it, but I put the eco setting on. It actually creates a longer, longer, longer use. So you really need to RTFM, which is read the fine manual. Okay. And then on dishwashers, I mean, you said the the best way to do that is to fill them up yes. properly, not overfill them like I did with mine last night and nothing <laughs> was clean and to put them all back in. 
the eco settings on the dishwasher does that save a lot of energy, or is it the same as the as the dishwasher as the washing machine? Yeah, no. So the eco washers often they take much longer than standard washers, but they're heating the water more slowly, and, and it saves you money. Believe it or not, your dishwasher is more efficient than you even washing them by hand. A full dishwasher uses about half the energy that we would actually use in terms of heating the water um, and will use several litres of water less as well. So it's better to use it that way. Eco as well. So it, it's the temperature um, that you're using. About 80% of the energy is, is using in a dishwasher is being used to heat the water. So if you have a slightly lower temperature setting, you're going to be saving a bigger amount of the energy that you're using. Okay. Most of it. I, I'm really interested in talking to you about tumble dryers because the tumble dryer yes. has become the enemy in my house. Nobody's allowed to touch it. Nobody's allowed to look at it in case it uses too much energy. They yeah. they are gobblers, aren't they? They're the biggest for, in, a, in a household. They, are, they use massive amounts of energy as well. Um, and also, it's, it's, it, they use massive in comparative to what you could be using them for, which is which is outside. Now, obviously, you're looking for good drying weather and a day yes. outside. But they do. Problem. It is a problem as well. Um, people, obviously, in apartments as well don't have that option sometimes. Um, so there are newer appliances that are coming, like you have heated clothes horses that you can use. But again, it's like dehumidifiers and other things around. And the space that they take up in the apartment as well or even the rules that you're not allowed to put them out on the balconies. So, so if you get a clothes horse then, just a regular one, mm-hmm. let's not go down the heated route just yet even though that sounds very attractive. Very <laughs> and you get a dehumidifier, mm. will that solve a problem for you? I mean, should we be doing that? Yeah, I, it does make it, like, the problem obviously drying clothes inside in a house as well is obviously where does the, the moisture go as well, so you want to look after that, but in terms of like, you know, mould or other things in a house but yes, uh, dehumidifiers will take the moisture away a good bit, but yeah, the clothes horse is a big, big, big benefit mm-hmm. because you're also spreading them out a lot of the times as well, and a clothes horse, even when you hold on a clothesline, you put a t-shirt over a line, it's against itself if it's folded over, you want to clip it at the top so even <laughs> like the, the physical way we hang things can make a difference so air circulation so uh, if you have a chlorine source that the window is open and that air is flowing around and keeping keeping that air because yeah, if you take too long to dry things they get a bit whiffy don't they they, they get do. a bit yeah they it's not it's, not it's not pleasant so let's talk about the fridge the fridge is it's, is one of the appliances we have on 24-7 yeah. all the time the other thing about the fridge is though Fridges last, like the fridge in my mom and dad's house is is fifteen years old. Like it lasts, you know, uh, and that's a massive uh, a, a massive amount of time to have old technology. Now, I'm not saying that the fridge should be replaced every couple of years, but if you even look at the numbers at the moment, a C rated fridge uses about 150 kilowatt hours um, uh, per annum. That's about 43 euro. Uh, so, and then an F rated fridge would actually use about 115. Uh, euro per annum. So that's that's quite a difference yeah. over the course of a year. And if you look at that, the price of a fridge, like in a couple of years, you will actually have the price of a new fridge. So it's 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 that energy efficiency, looking at the rating, but it's also physically where we have the fridge in the houses sometimes is the fridge is sitting beside the oven or, and it's competing against each other. So, uh, and with any appliance in our house, like I said, using the, 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 the manual to understand how it works, but also don't put hot food into it look after its service, defrost it every minimum six months so that you're 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 actually keeping it at its optimum level. Because if you have a, a C rated anything and you're using it to the best efficiency, as opposed to having something that's a B rating and that it's in, in, in rag order and not working well and you're 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 not saving as much energy. So using it as best as you can. And is there a standard um when it comes to the number that we have the fridge setting on? 
Yeah, three to four degrees uh, is is what you're looking at within within a fridge. Any co- uh, colder, you end up kind of ruining your your fruit and veg that, that that's in there. You're you're looking what the the, the minimal that work. Obviously, as well as as temperature changes, it's colder in the winter. You don't need to have it potentially as cold uh, okay. or working as hard. You mentioned the oven, which is sometimes competing with the fridge if they're beside yeah. each other. One of the big questions about energy and ovens is whether we should preheat them. Well, yes, is usually because you're preheating an oven to to heat to what the the food that you're getting uh, is saying potentially if it's coming from a a, pro- a processed food and it's like heat this at this temperature yeah. for twenty minutes. But if it's if you're baking something, I can understand a preheat. Yes. But if you're just cooking something off. It's no, it's going perfectly fine to do that. It's great. It's just you need to keep an eye and make sure what what's safe and heating the. Also, if you're using an oven as well, you know, cooking things together will be a different way of doing it. There's also different types of obviously cookers that we have around. Like we can use air fryers, microwaves. Cheaper, things. better to use the air fryer. Generally, yes. Um, so air fryer, you don't need to preheat. Um, you're also not using oil as opposed to deep fat fryer. Your um, it, it cooks for a, a quicker. It's quicker and uses less energy. So therefore, you don't use as much energy. Doesn't cost you as much. You also want to get the oven that suits you or suits the food in that instance. You like you want to save money, but you also don't want to like have a lower quality of life. So you want to get the oven that suits uh, quality wise to you. So an air fryer will basically you have a, a heating element that radiates heat down, but also you have a vacuum that basically creates the air cycling around, hits every element of the food, cooking from the outside in. Microwaves opposite way they cook from the inside out so microwaves sit in between the radio and infrared on the on the on the on this electromagnetic spectrum they hit the water fat and sugar molecules inside they make them shake from the inside out so microwaves cook from the inside out air, air fries the opposite way the opposite so way slow flat um, cookers have been mentioned as a way to save energy but they're they're being used for a long time like 8 or 12 hours yes. are they using a very small amount of power that's that's the idea yeah okay. so you use a lower amount of time for, it's, it's the same like driving a car if you get to, want to go to somewhere you drive 100 kilometers an hour and you get there in 3 minutes or then you go at 30 kilometers an hour and you get there longer so it, it's it's really you need to look like I said the manuals the kilowatt hours how much energy is this using per use per 100 uses per hour and then working it out so there is a little bit of self-analysis to do because if I say a blanket statement for all appliances then that's whereas in reality there is there's colour to Really quick one before we finish are we are we switching off all of our televisions and sky boxes and all of that stuff at night before we go to bed to save power I, I, I want to say yes but like I was looking at SEAI I was talking to Tom Halpin and a few other people in there as well the bigger things that we need to look at are like the bigger energy consumptions like the cooking the other things like that it, you're using potentially 10 to 20% on something on standby so the answer is yes you're saving money but from a practical point of view biggest barrier to uh, to me going is going I can't go in behind the telly and pull out the plugs it's a pain if I have an extension lead that has a button right at the edge of it it's easier to actually switch it off yeah. physically as well so make it easy for yourself make it easy and as do well. it Phil Smith physicist and engineer at UCD Discovery and Simply Science from today with Claire Byrne And on the Ray Darcy Show, Dara McAnulty's beautiful bird song and his wild child's book of birds. Dara McAnulty, good afternoon. Good Good to see you. Good afternoon, Ray. It's finally good to be actually meeting (laughs) in the flesh. It's amazing. You look exactly like your photographs. (laughs) It's it's great because we started with uh, a diary of a young naturalist, which how how long ago was that? Oh, it's four years ago. Is it four years ago? Yeah. That's hard to believe. I know. 
What age were you when you wrote it? Well, I wrote it between the ages 14 and 15. So right. feels like an age ago now. Yeah. What an, what an amazing book. It's just one of those books that stopped me in my tracks. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, and I've recommended it to so many people since. No, but but and then you must have, you yeah. must get that reaction, do you, from people who've who've read it? Yeah, I do. I, I do get the random people coming up and then saying that they notice the birds now and yes. that they can hear the songs, and uh, that is as an author all I could ever wish for with the book of actually people noticing the world a little bit more around them. So it's be. It's been a bit of a wild ride. Yeah. Um, and of course, that book was for everybody. These books are, yeah. I suppose, for everybody as well, but mainly targeted at children. Yes. Um, and, and seeing as you started um, with songs there, just to let people know that you go through the, the, the seasons and you tell us yeah. what to look out for and listen out for in each season and you give us advice on how to feed the birds, etc., and care for them. Uh, and then you have some charts along the way, like your your top five birds of prey. Yeah. Sure yes. can. And you have your top five songbirds as well. So yes. we, we'll, be, we'll bring people in with us then and, and, and maybe play those. And okay. We, we, we'll do a countdown from five. So, oh, uh, lovely. Yeah, so this is the Skylark then. Yeah. Spectacular. Oh, yeah. And when they are actually making that song, um, they actually fly up into the air and then dive back down again. So they, they like go up with their song. So as it gets higher in pitch, they actually rise up into the air as well because it's a part of their whole courtship displays so that they can find mates. And Uh, tell us about the the sirinx of a bird, S-Y-R-I-N-X. So um, birds, obviously, very different from mammals. And so they've got a different way of producing sound with their voices. They've got they've got two voice boxes, um, and they basically can use this to create two different melodies at the same time. So that's if I was able to have two different conversations with the same voice <laughs> at the same time. Yes, or, or do back and vocals for yourself. Basically, yes. <laughs> yeah. And this allows them to actually harmonise with themselves wow. and create beautiful, beautiful melodies that are quite unlike anything that we. The sirings. Yes. Uh, Blackbirds, you say, are known as the Beethoven of birds. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they're beautiful. And you you do know it's um, spring when you hear them. Although they do actually warm up their vocals during winter. So you can can actually hear them um, start them. And on winter birds, I suppose the robin we yes. we associate with winter and Christmas and Christmas cards. Mm-hmm. Um, we play a song first, and then you can tell us about the wee little cute little robin. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? And you said cute little robin. Um, now, robins are, they're adorable, but they do have a habit that if another male walks into a male's territory, they have a tendency to rip out their throat. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, it's, it's quite, it's quite br- brutal. <laughs> uh, okay, do you want to, uh, some water there? Yeah, just, they're oh, that, aggressive there. wee things. Yeah, right, but, okay. But their song is beautiful yeah. and yeah. Uh, I just uh, it, 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 I love listening to them but 
And they're still, they, they're still cute. Yeah. Black caps. I, I, I've, I've never heard of black caps before. That's full on, that one, isn't it? Yeah. So these are the warblers and they have the most complex, some of the most complex songs. They're really... They're really using that sirens to make sure that they can get those two melodies going at the same time. So it sounds like there's like more than one bird. Yeah. Um, and so you've got like your reed warblers, your willow warblers, your chiff chaffs, and of course your black caps, which uh, they migrate off from like uh, Greece and the Mediterranean to come up to here. Right. Uh, and top of the charts yes. on <laughs> Dara McAnulty's top five songbirds, the nightingale. Now he or she is just showing off. But yes. in effect, that's what they do, isn't it? That's what the yeah. song is. Yes. And they've got such a vocal range. Like um, they can make these these like creaks, these bells, these uh, whistles and like trills. And you never really know what's going to actually happen in the song next. It's qu really quite exciting and, in and incredible. And I've actually, um, I've only ever heard them once in my life. And that was when I was on a, like a history trip to Berlin and there's loads of them there. Lovely, that's Dara McAnulty from The Ray Darcy Show. And on Today with Claire Byrne, Brian O'Connell spent some time in MABS, the money advice and budgeting service. So I gather it was busy where you were. Yes, it was. I was in the North Main Street branch of MABS just after 9am on Thursday morning. I would have spent time with MABS before, for example, during the recession when people were out of work. That was a huge issue back then. And in the courts, for example, in repossession hearings, MABS always had a presence. They offer a range of advice and expertise. But what they're seeing now, as you said, is working people and families coming to them for help, people who may not have come to them before. And they are, as I said, very busy. They're seeing the energy crisis having a real impact on household budgets. They're seeing people getting into significant debt. And in some cases, they're seeing disconnections taking place. Now, I want to bring you one man first whom I met. He was on his first appointment and he told me about debt issues which resulted in him having to reach out to MABS. MABS are hopefully can help me resolve some of the, the worries. And they are major, major worries. Right, I'm I'm a warrior by nature anyway, but when they, these things just really get on top of me, and they, uh, I struggle with them, like you know. So these were loans taken out at a time when, obviously, budget-wise and in terms of your finances, it was it was manageable, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, unfortunately, things change, and the situation now is that it's just not manageable at the moment. When you get those letters in the door, it's it's everything comes to a front, and it just it's panic situation comes in. Then, like you know, and you're trying to deal with them. And that's where um, I've contacted Mabs to to try to help me deal with these situations, like you know, and take some of the uh, pressures that I really could do without. I'd say it has a huge impact. Sleep. Um, oh, you don't sleep. Really? Yeah, it's constant in your head, constant, constant in your head. You're worrying going to the letterbox in the morning. Is there another letter there? Um, it's all that like it's 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 a horrible situation. In the meantime, the cost of living, as we know, for everybody has increased. Mm -hmm. I'm very conscious of making sure my my bills are paid, and especially whatever I've left over then is just is food. A lot of stuff that you may have bought 12 months ago, you don't buy no more. The pressures on people at the moment is just it's it's unbelievable. I don't think it has surfaced properly yet. And when you get the letter when when it comes in the door, what's your initial feeling? Panic. 
panic you see the heading on the paper on the letter and your stomach just turns do you talk to people about it well i don't i keep all this to myself um mm. it's just that I, I had to contact maps it came to a stage where i needed help and that's why i came to maps now and um hopefully we will come to a resolution for this we're a couple of weeks away from a budget does that mean much to you does it mean a lot to you are you looking to see what's in it obviously I'm basically putting all my hopes on it. You know, the energy cost is a major thing, but even if just have that helped a bit, that'll help us a lot, like, you know. And Brian spoke about some of the other services MABS offer. Staff can help people with everything from energy bills to mortgage repayments, historic debt solutions, day-to-day spending. Now, some of the staff have actually come from the banking sector and they would have a very good engagement with energy companies as well. Uh, sometimes the courts will direct someone to go to MABS and engage with them so they can become a point of contact with lenders as well, take some of that pressure off. Now, I met Ursula Collins, regional manager, and Jesse Anthony, who's coordinator of services and they were telling me some of what they've been seeing in recent weeks and months as they prepare now for unfortunately a tough winter ahead. Previous to this MABS was seen as the the place to go to if you were in trouble Um, whereas now MABS is seen as the place to go to if you just need help and support. It's difficult for you too because you can put a budgeting plan in place with somebody but given the extent and the rapid pace of energy cost rises it's hard to project forward two weeks not to mind a year. Yes, yes. And I suppose what we would say to all our clients is reach out for that support because um, everyone needs to plan. In terms of the increase in energy costs, so how are you seeing that manifest itself? Uh, Quite a dramatic increase in both the extent of the utility bills and also in disconnections in the last couple of months. Now, we do have a direct line to the energy companies and we would encourage people to contact us again sooner rather than later. But I thought there were certain limitations in place where companies couldn't disconnect people. There are certain categories of people that uh, do have some protection under the legislation, such as older people, but for the majority of the population, um, they would unfortunately be liable for disconnection if they don't engage with the company. And then what kind of arrears have been built up? Um, unfortunately, as of yesterday, I've seen bills up to 7,000. And just chatting to my colleagues this morning, um, we've seen a bill of 12,000 in arrears presenting, which is obviously deeply worrying for the individual and just shows the extent of the problem in the country at the moment. So you would be saying to people who are facing huge pressures to engage with you early and not not allow those arrears accrue, obviously, to that point? Absolutely. I think it's a two-pronged approach. If you're not in difficulties, but you're seeing the winter coming and you're getting concerned about the energy bills, as we all are, you should look at your current provider and can you switch. And then secondly, if you are in difficulties, then please do come to us. We have a direct line to the energy providers. If there's a threat of disconnection, we can act as intermediaries for you and also we can look to get some of the debt into an arrangement that is manageable for you. And if you want to get in touch with MABS they have a helpline number which I'm going to give you now. It's open from Monday to Friday from 9 o'clock in the morning until 8pm and that number is 0818 0818052000 and the website is mabs.ie And on Liveline, Louise called Joe in the afternoon about a situation her daughter was facing while working as a waitress. She came in yesterday evening and she had worked a few hours and she said that she had to pay for people who left without paying their bill. 
she had kind of mentioned it before, and I said, oh, that, can't be, that can't be right. And she said, no, it is right. Um, so she ended up kind of almost working for nothing yesterday evening, and she mm-hmm. was very annoyed. I was furious, counted to ten before I sent a tweet about it, um, and I thought, that just can't be right. If somebody doesn't pay their bill, that the waiting staff have to um, cover the cost of it. So, oh, like, what, what is, is it, if it's your customer, if, you're, if it's the yeah, table it's your, you were serving yeah, that did a runner... Tab, yeah, if it's your tab and they do a runner. She works on the bar, so she wouldn't be out on, on waiting on tables all the time. And you set up a tab, as she said, for your customers... And she had served them a meal. And but how, how is she, Louise, how is she supposed to stop someone doing a runner? Has, well, she, well, has, she, well, has she got powers of well, scaling no, the bar? And bless her, no. Has she, she powers, has she powers of arrest? <laughs> no, she hasn't actually, no. But she said normally what you would do is most people are um, honest and they'll come up and they'll pay or you'll keep an eye and you'll drop down a bill. But um, she finished up a little bit early that... Yeah, go ahead. They, they yeah. had left, and she had she took the hit. Yeah, because oh. um, the, somebody came to her and said, "You know that tab you opened? It's still open on the till." And mentioning a manager said they'll be you know looking for that, so she paid. So I asked her, and I said, "Is this norm?" And she said, "Yes, that somebody had paid ninety euro last week," and I was thinking ninety euro out of your wages, like. Somebody has just sent us in. It's a waiting staff. Now, I want to name the... the we all want to name, but we, we, we're just trying to get a response from the place. It's a very... It's obvious the name of the, the, name of the uh, restaurant stroke bar. And it basically says, in cases of a walk... This is in the staffing area. In cases mm-hmm. of a walkout, you will be held accountable and therefore have to pay that bill. Sure, that's outrageous. <laughs> But are you? But I'm saying, if you got the powers to run after these people, most of them, you don't. And would you want to tackle someone? No, you wouldn't. And I, I think if people are going to leave there, without paying, is there, they're, they're is well there, able to do it. Is there security on the door? Not at all. No, 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 no. But and apparently, now wait, it gets to, it gets worse. Apparently, the 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 work the workplace relations commission, the government quango, mm-hmm. who do great work apparently, any deduction, <laughs> this is what they say, any deduction authorized by the term of an employee's contract, e.g., pension contributions. That's fair enough. Our our particular till shortages can be deducted by the employer from the employee's wage. This is the state organisation saying, go ahead. Go ahead. And by the way... If a till is short, how do you narrow it down to whatever about a table? And and the other thing as well is, if if there was a security man or woman on the door, there's no investment for them to stop people and say, by the way, have you paid? Because they won't take the hit. It's the poor, it's the probably a part-time server. Is, yeah. Part-time, mm. that's what I thought. On, probably on minimum wage, because yeah. the majority of people on minimum wage are part-time mm. staff. Um, they take the hit. Yeah. And given that if they're on, well, it's, go, it's going up to 11.40 or whatever, but given yeah. if they're on the current minimum wage, yeah. sure, that wouldn't even cover a G&T in most bars in Dublin if someone no, did a walkout. No, no, no. 
No, it wasn't worth her while driving to the job, so working the... and coming home last night. That's Louise there. Then Linda called Joe. Well, I'm just calling in because I think uh, children are being exploited. My 18-year-old daughter applied for a job in a pharmacy. I won't say where. And um, she was asked to come in for a trial. So she went in for three hours. Yeah. And uh, she worked on her own, unsupervised, doing blister packs in the pharmacy, which is a job of a technician, pharmacy technician. Uh, anyway, she worked from 9 to 12. And the manager said to her, oh, um, we let you know how you get on, you know, we co- contact you. But yeah. she never heard anything at all. No pay, didn't get paid for it at all. And what did and she do? Think, what she did for the three hours? What, blister packs? Blister packs, sir. You know, making up medications. Yeah, putting yeah. in, say, from the weekly, the daily um, boxes, yeah, you know. Yeah, and which, which, yeah. which some, far, some pharmacies, some pharmacies yeah. recently have said, we're not doing it anymore, it's too labour intensive. Yes, some yeah, pharmacies said, right. we will do it, but we will charge because it does yeah. take a lot of time. So they bring yeah. in... They yes. bring in your daughter for three hours. They go ahead, do the blister yep. packs. Thanks very yep. much. And yep. not a buy oh, or leave. No, nothing at all. No no money at all. No, I just think they're using, um, you know, young people, exploiting young people. I just think it's awful, Joe. And I'm sure my daughter isn't the only... Uh, have you been in touch with the pharmacy? I have been in touch with them, yeah. And they... Uh, I told them, I said, we just expected that she would get paid, you know, she's only 18 and she wouldn't have life experience to kind of, yeah. you know, uh, demand payment. But they said, no, uh, they absolutely said... not. She wouldn't get paid, no. It was a trial. I said, well, you should have made it clear to her before she yeah. went in. I said, we wouldn't have allowed And what are they saying? It was hours. a trial and she was found guilty, so we're not paying her. Yeah. Well, that's Linda there, but Pat O'Neill called Joe about that issue of Dine and Dash customers. It's very easy, Joe. I, I take it from the first lady that, that this, is, this is a bar restaurant, OK? So yeah. I make a booking for my wife and two other people, OK? I make the booking to have my number. When I go into the restaurant, here we go, pre-authorise the card. Problem solved, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. The business must take responsibility here. When you check into a hotel, Joe, you know they pre-authorise the yeah, card. yeah. So this is bad business being run. That young girl must get paid for the hours she did. She is not responsible for bad management. And I, I know you're not going to name the place, Joe. I'm not here to, 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 to talk bad news. It's on the tip of my tongue. I don't know why I'm, I'm biting my tongue don't, here. No, I keep biting it, Joe, because let them come back to you. I guarantee you, Joe, by the time this show is over, that young girl will get the wages that she earned yesterday. And will that, other restaurant, will that other restaurant come by or take down that sign saying... They have to take it down, Joe, because, Joe, Joe, when you make a booking with a restaurant, you're making a contract. So obviously now a lot of them take your card and they take a deposit because people are cancelling. But in this case, Joe, this young girl did her day's work. She got paid. Whoever went away without paying that bill, well, unfortunately, it's bad management, Joe, 100%. That's a fair, that is not a, why, why are you so passionate about this, Pat? Because well, I, I, you're like me. I hate to see anyone being ripped off by so dentists, I, by anyone, by medics, by roofers, by 
Especially but vulnerable yes, people. Vulnerable God. people. Everything, Joe. Like, Joe, we're living in a different world now today, OK? And everybody in the whole country has seen everything go up in price. Yeah. Food, shopping, travel, blah, 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 OK? You know, I, I just think it's time for all of us to unite as one. Stop bickering about this and that. And yeah. let's just all pull together, Joe. Like uh, tug of war team, Joe. We all pull together. And let's, let's, I just think, I just think the whole world needs to start uniting now, Joe. To be honest with you personally, I, I'm very vocal. I didn't go to the march in Cork and Sasser because it's just, we, we don't need that. We just need mm. the government to, to sit down and listen to the people that elected them into power, Joe. I mean, you know, TDs are guaranteed 101,000 euros a year plus expenses. It's a lot of money, plus Joe, pension. 2020. Don't forget plus the pension, And their expenses. Well, that's the job they it's do. It's a separate point, but I'm just yeah. saying, Joe, that young girl needs to get paid from that bar restaurant. And the people who run that place, they know who made the booking. They know who sat on table A13, whatever. Obviously, when they wanted to start out a tab, then the first thing they do is produce a card, do a prioritisation, and I guarantee you, Joe, no one will be running after that. That's Pat there. Then Harriet called Joe about her son. Uh, my son uh, is a little bit different. He was working in a very well-known bar in Dublin City Centre. Okay. And there were two tables, uh, two separate families having meals. Yeah. Uh, the, the dinners were bought out uh, from the kitchen. He mixed up the order. Okay. And to pay, he was told he had to pay for the meals for one of the tables up front there and then, which he did and left. So because he... he mixed up the order. He gave one table one dinner and another table the other dinner. Now, that's not to say the table, both tables ate the dinner and then yeah. complained after. And he was so he had to pay the 50 euro, 50 euro. So both he tables, both tables at their dinner. Yeah, happily enough. Happily and then, enough. Finished clean, clean plates. Yeah. Then decided not to pay for them. The and manager, yeah, that's right. And the manager came to my son and told him he has to pay for at least one of the tables. They weren't going to be out of pocket. And it's, was they that weren't a, out of pocket. Of course, it was, was it a day's wages he had to pay? Um, yeah, he wouldn't have been on great money now. You know, minimum yeah. wage, I suppose. So Hard would work, would have been. I don't want the exact sum in fairness. So I don't want to identify him. But no, would, no. would have been around four or five hours minimum wage pay. Exactly. Yeah. It would Joe. Yeah. Would have been that. Yeah. Sure. 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 And hard work. Hard work. The kids working when the, at that age, mm-hmm. like they're teenagers, and it's hard work putting the bar for them. And I just feel. Should have that happened twice? He'd have to give the the place money at the end of the day. Exactly. They're being exploited. A lot of kids are being exploited in these places. Mm-hmm. No, and they're even though they're eighteen, they're still vulnerable in life because they're only starting out. You know, mm-hmm. and um, the other thing about it is, kids work in these bars and shops, and a lot of places are they're not they're not trained properly. There's no proper management skill. They're just thrown in the deep end, and you make a mistake and you're punished. Yeah, basically. But That's there's, all there's, say, Joe. Yeah, but there's one thing about I, I thank you very much. But there's one thing about making a mistake in a bar. Like the two people that ate the wrong dinner. Yeah. Neither of them were poisoned. They survived no. and they went out happier than when they came yeah. in. Yeah. Even though one of them met fish when they were trying to eat a burger, and one of them had a burger and trying to, it's a nice way of uh, t- uh, experimenting with your food. Both yeah. of them cleaned the plates. Then both yeah. of them refused to pay. And yeah. the boss, the, instead of the boss saying, "Hang on a minute," to mm. the customers. He says to the young fella, yeah, hang you on, take you, one you, your, table. your fault. Yeah. 
Yeah, and by the way, when the when the person who was waiting on the smoked cod was handed the 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 burger, did they not recognise the difference between a smoked cod and a burger? I, I would imagine they did. So <laughs> <laughs> I would. I know. I know the difference. I think most of us would. That's Harriet on the live line with Joe Duffy. And on the Ryan Tupperty Show, Alice Ryan, author of There's Been a Little Incident, was talking about writing despite herself and the death of her beloved mother, Caroline Walsh. But having grown up in a house full of literature, Ryan asked if Alice was a reader as a child. Not at all. So my, my house is coming down with books. Yeah. And because of that, probably, I just completely rebelled. Both my brother and I with no interest. I went off and I studied economics. I was like, under no circumstances am I doing English. And I guess then it caught up with me. Is that funny? Because it's, it's kind of like smoking in, in some ways. Uh, where sometimes if the parents are rabid smokers, the kids completely don't smoke. And equally, if the parents don't smoke, the kids might smoke. So with reading, you had all these books and, and quite a provenance as well, uh, which will, which we, let's, let's get the name drop out of the way first <laughs> before we get into the book itself, because it goes from your grandmother, who was... Mary Lavin. And tell us who she was. Yeah, so Mary Lavin was a short story writer and she was a staff writer for The New Yorker. Yeah, pretty impressive, to say the least. And then your mum. Yeah, Caroline Walsh. She was the literary editor of the Irish Times. And then you went to study economics. That's kind of offensive to your lineage. Yeah, I really what were you had, think? I had no interest. I was just like, and I remember at school because he used to do quite well in other subjects. Yeah. And then English was just like, like you'd get bees. And I was like, what is this jazz like? And I remember this awful moment in my 20s, or maybe it was my late teens, where my mum came in and what I used to do is, they had all these books all over the TV room and I would take the biggest book and I would take it out and I really wanted the thick one to paint my nails on. <laughs> and um, my mum came in one day and she, her, her, her heart just sank, I could see it, because she thought all that time that I was like taking out these tomes and she was like, dad, your dad and I didn't want to ask, we thought just, you know, you had the secret love and you would be reading in a really deep Ulysses, but no, it was whichever was best for doing the nails. Oh, that's terrible. Okay, so there was a little kind of manicure going on and nothing to do with a, a love of the written word, obviously, okay. Uh, the book itself, because we'll talk about your, the, as I say, Providence and family in a moment, but it, your book features, it's, it's so family-centric. So why don't you give us the part of the story, if you wouldn't mind? Definitely, yeah. So it's about actually two girls who go missing on the same rainy night in London mm-hmm. and the different fates that they both meet. And one of them, Molly, this is not her first rodeo. She has been on the run for years. And the question is, now that she's 29... I mean, should they keep chasing her? They've chased her all over the world. Um, and so we then jump into her eccentric family and uh, there's Lady V, who's a gym tycoon. Um, there's Uncle John, who's kind of your average busybody. And um, th- they kind of come together in the suburban house in Leopardstown and decide what to do while eating a lot of uh, mini quiches, mini sandwiches mm. and, uh, of course, a lot of lasagna, as any family. As any family yeah. of a certain vintage would start, because long before that, uh, there was no lasagna in Ireland and then oh, suddenly my, it yeah, uh, Lasagna hit my family hard. <laughs> like, I actually don't think I could eat lasagna anymore. I th- In the 90s, I'd say we had two lasagnas a week. <laughs> they, they do say, you know, write what you know. Um, and how much of you did you write that you knew? Uh, well, so my aunt rang me after she'd read Yes, it. I'd like uh, to hear yeah. her review. Oh, she was horrified and she was so annoyed. And I was like, what is going on? And she was like, I didn't recognise anyone. 
Oh. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, that's kind of the point. And for me, that's the skill, right? The skill yeah. is writing the fiction. And the, 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 people the skill know. is hiding, is it? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, well, hiding, well said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think there's, look, there's notes of truth, but um, there, there's... The feelings are real. Let me put it that way. The characters are fictional, but the emotions and the depth um, and in my case, the grief, you know, is yeah. very much real. Because you, you know, from from reading around you in recent days, I get the sense that the book, I don't want to overstate the case, to be honest with you, Alice, but it, a sense that it, it's, it's a postcard or a love letter. Um, 100% in, in fact in the acknowledgements I say it's a love letter yeah that, okay uh, it, it so is. it's okay and to use I know, that I know a few people when they hear what's my own story they're like oh god it'll be so sad but the truth is it's it's a total just positive um, view on, on grief and that's that's my interpretation okay. it's, it's about all the, the the kind of positive things that can come out of it your your mother I want to go go here for a moment because your mother from reading about her strikes me as somebody I would have loved to <laughs> hang out with because she spoke a language that I, does, I definitely do, which is about books and reading, obviously. And this idea that books as a portal, books are, are, are as she would say, it's as kind of almost safe harbours to get you if you're, in a, if you're in a funk or what have you, this book will bring you where you need to be. What a great philosophy. Tell me about that and as books as a passport. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and then when I, when, you know, when my mum did die, that's when I got that passport. And I... Yeah dove into all the books that she had read and I, I suddenly saw it and I suddenly got that in, in, and that way it was a great gift to me. Uh, yeah, she used to write in books actually, a, sa- a safe port in a storm, you know, 1999 wow. West Cork. Or, wow. um, but you know what, Ryan, you say about like how you would have loved to meet her. Um, she, she definitely was interested in books but the best thing about her was that she was interested in every- everything. No, and I really mean that. Like she yeah. would go to a party of like, you know, say, intellectuals and she would you'd find her on the stairs talking to the 14 year old about the debate competition she was genuinely like deeply interested in every person her her interest was entirely democratic which is something that I really love And Ryan asked Alice about the events of 2011 We are going to be heading towards you know difficult territory in terms of taking one's life and so forth so just to put put that as a warning to people listening we have to do that respectfully but uh, tell me what happened in 2011 yeah, I mean, like when I think back on it now, it was so sudden. Um, she'd been on holidays in the summer of 2011 and she just had an earache, a really simple earache. And uh, it just was really difficult to shake. She'd been on a few antibiotics and eventually the doctor said, you know, I think there's something else at play here. And it turned out that, that uh, the thing that was at play was her thyroid and it was malfunctioning. Um, and then between September and about November, she would have overactive thyroid and underactive thyroid, which is really unusual. She was flipping between the two and uh, she lost an awful lot of weight and she became uh, insomniac. And as you say, the, the thing that really was very hard to get your head around was she, she really, her interest for life really dropped away and her, her engagement mm. just, she, she became um, totally insular and, um, you know, and again, it sounds like I have my head around it and, I, and you know, the truth is I still don't. And okay. um, it, it was so quick. It was a matter of weeks and, um, you know, by November we knew something was very, very wrong and she was admitted to St. John of God's and... Why? Um, so basically, they, the, the thing was that they knew it was the thyroid um, but unfortunately, there's that kind of um, difference between um, 
something medical that's causing a, a mental illness and mental illness itself. So, um, and the doctors were fantastic in the hospital, mm. um, but they said, look, this is a medical condition. It just happens to have um, psychiatric symptoms. Um, and that's something that's tough to bear that in Ireland we don't necessarily uh, have a you know very well set up system to deal with that. Um, and she uh, was the, the, basically uh, what we were told was she would need to get the thyroid removed. Mm-hmm. It was malfunctioning and um, she was diagnosed with psychosis. So and just to anyone listening, I'd really like to be very clear to say that, you know, this is a very rare condition because I know a lot of people have thyroid conditions mm-hmm. and I don't want anyone to, to be frightened by that. But um, she had thyroid induced psychosis. OK, I hadn't heard of that now, but but here we are. And nor had we, as you yeah. can imagine. So you so were, were frantically reading up oh, on it and trying to, to inform say we're yourself, playing yeah. catch up. Yeah. And, and, you know, and her beloved mum and, and she was slipping away from us and we were desperately running to catch up and, and, and struggling. What does that mean? She was slipping away from you. I mean, how did that manifest itself? Uh, she, okay, for, for, first of all, like physically, you know, she, she was a, a complete shell of herself. Her, her eyes were completely dead and, and she was totally frantic. My dad always says about, you know, she couldn't get the cup of tea, her beloved tea, to her mouth with the, from the shaking. And um, like there was the physical manifestations, but I think for us to see someone disappear in front of your eyes in terms of her engagement you know, just not being able to connect with her, um, not not being able to have a proper conversation with her. She was frantic. She was, she couldn't sit still. And the big problem was she she couldn't even focus enough to read. Oh, you know, and yeah. for her that was really like taking. You know, we all have our toolbox. Yes, I certainly do. Yeah, of course, I you know, yeah, yeah. I, the jumping in the sea, the yoga. You know, and and they're the things that get us back on track. And sure. for her, it was disappearing into short stories or poetry or books and. And and suddenly she couldn't even focus on the lines. And um, what happened was she was let out of hospital just before Christmas. And, um, you know, they said to us, I think it was the 12th of January. They just said, look, if you can just stabilise her enough to get the thyroid removed, that is the cause of this problem. Um, they weren't able to uh, operate on her when she was in a psychotic state. So... Um, just before we went to our house in Leash, which is where we always go for Christmas, she, um, she had her last checkup. My dad brought her. And uh, after a few hours, or after half an hour, I think, when uh, she didn't come out, he went in and she'd never gone in for her appointment. And um, I know for some people that's not a huge shock, but my mum and dad, they were best friends for 10 years before they got married. Were they? They were. Okay. And they were married for 30 years and they were, they sat up every morning at 6am and had tea together and you could hear them and they just, they were just best friends. Okay. So for him, I think he knew then that something was very, very wrong. It was so out of character. It was so out of character and um, I, I felt very strongly, I, you know, we were so close and when you love someone so much, I thought we will find her. We we will, you know, lock her up if if needs be. If and just to keep her and, yeah, and to, to contain to, her to stable, and to yeah. mind her. Yeah, and, and I didn't know as much about psychosis then as I do now. But mm-hmm. um, uh, so we uh, friends came and family came to our house, and we drove around um, as one does when someone goes missing, and um, it was me actually who found her in the end. I um, I got to Dunleary Pier. We just went to places that we knew she loved. And uh, it was midnight on uh, December 21st and uh, I ran down to the end of the pier. The West Pier in Dunleary. The West Pier, yeah. yeah, yeah the well, the yeah. kind of, um, the yeah, left glamour one. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The left, And uh, as you can imagine, I mean, I remember tripping and falling because that one doesn't yeah, have any lights. And rubbish. I do remember thinking, this is 
okay, this is, I'm in some sort of... Just, and you ran the length of that period on the And I was 21st. in my work, my work boots and it was midnight and uh, I remember getting to the end and thinking, I didn't see her at the end and I thought, am I, is this good news? Is it bad news? Yeah. And um, eventually, unfortunately, you know, we called the police. My dad came, my, my brother, and um, the Coast Guard did pull her body out of the sea. And um, even then, I, I actually, the, I remember the policeman saying, did she jump? And I, I, I still, I know it sounds mad. I used to say, like, are you crazy? I go, this is my mum. This is like, this is, I mean, no, she's the happiest person in the world. So um, then when her body was put, I thought, okay. And they said she had a heartbeat. And I thought, okay, this is it. This is it. We've had a terrible fright. We now know Christ. We know about thyroid and psychosis. So we're just going to, from here on in, we will get, we will, emergency, emergency. But it wasn't to be. And, um, you know, when we got to Vincent's hospital, um, she was pronounced dead at, at, at 3 a.m. That, all of that is wrong, isn't it? Um, that close to Christmas, uh, your mum, and especially how you have described such a vibrant, vivid person who's just coming down with curiosity for for, for such a, a sad end. And to, to be it honest, all. even saying it now, I feel like it belies the shock because I, I, I factually know that that's what happened. But as you can imagine, when someone's sick for seven weeks, uh, yeah. like we were still clutching at the person she was. We were still, I was still saying things like, oh, I, you know, um, oh, surely you'd be interested in this. So I remember yes. reading her um, um, The Mitford Sisters, you know, and I got them all out of the library and I thought, this is the one thing that'll bring her back. And I feel so kind of guilty because I was trying to bring her back from somewhere. She was, she was, you know, somewhere else. And Ryan played a little clip of Alice's mum, Caroline Walsh. With your permission, I'm going to play a clip of your mum. Oh, I'd love to hear that. Are you OK Thank with you. that? Yeah. Thanks. And this is your mum, Caroline Walsh. She's been asked in this uh, little piece, short piece, uh, whether she realised she had a wonderful life. So I think you might appreciate this. We'll play it here. If you think and talk that way enough, sometimes you're lucky enough and it works out. And have you been lucky so far? I've been lucky. Um, I've been lucky. I've been happy. Is that odd? It, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm taking a minute there. Yeah, no, um, that's Theo Dorgan talking to your mum um, in 20, 2001. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, uh, you, when someone dies, you, you lose all the glimpses. And um, and the truth is, we were beyond lucky. And, 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 and it, in the end, her death was a drop in the ocean of her deeply happy life. Your, your book, um, as you say yourself, is a love letter. Um, there's there's so much of your story, I think, in there. There's a lot of your mum in there too. So that when people do read um, the book after hearing our conversation today, they'll be thinking, no doubt, okay, that this this whole story makes sense. So what an achievement! I mean, this is more than just a book. I think in in light of our chat this morning, it's actually much more profound than that. And like you say, you're you're how old is Kate now? She's three. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, so you've got a the next generation ready there, and hopefully. Your mum's in the big library in the sky. That's Alice Ryan from the Ryan Tuberty Show. And if any of these issues have affected you, you can find support at rte.ie slash helplines. And on the Ray Darcy Show, Siobhan McSweeney was chatting about the TV series of Holding based on Graham Norton's book. 
Now, we've all been excited here about Holding since we heard it was being filmed in West Cork back in July of 2021. Not only is it based on Graham Norton's fantastic novel of the same name, it has an all-star Irish cast, including uh, Conleth Hill, Brenda Fricker, Pauline MacLynn, and one of our favourite people in the world, Siobhan McSweeney, who plays Breed Reardon in the small town thriller. And Siobhan is on the line now. I was going to say Breed is on the line now. How are you doing, Siobhan? Hello, Ray. How are you? Lovely to speak to you. Great to speak to you. Now, this is way back for you, isn't it? The the recording of and everything. It's gone out on ITV and now it's on Virgin Media One. Can you remember what it was what it was about? <laughs> I have a vague recollection. I know that when I I know when I started filming, I had two legs, and I now have about <laughs> I've one and three quarters. Yes. So um, that <laughs> that's how long ago it was filmed. Yeah, it was filmed last summer. Nearly a year ago. Um, a year and a bit, a year and a bit, yeah. Um, a year and a bit, that's right, yeah. Yeah, and people in the UK would have seen it, so you've got a reaction to it already, which I would imagine was positive. Yes, it went down really, really well. Um, of course, the only audience that I particularly <laughs> care about their opinion <laughs> is the one back home, so uh, yeah. I really hope it goes down well at home as well. OK, so, so for people who haven't read the book, just give them a, a brief synopsis of the plot, please. <laughs> Well, it's set um, it's set in West Cork, and essentially a body is found, a skeleton is found, and the local guard, played by Conleth Hill, um, has to sort of figure out who this body belongs to, mm. and it sort of uncovers an awful lot of uh, mysteries within this village and in the small rural community, and sort of goes on. I mean, holding can refer to so many things, but for me, I think it's sort of holding on to the past. And essentially, the the the, the body I play uh, one of the suspects, essentially, right. um, one of the prime suspects. Did she murder him? Did, could I possibly murder anyone, Ray? I mean, well, well you, which, Siobhan McSweeney, couldn't, but maybe Breard Reardon. Breed Reardon had it in Am her. I that good an actor though? Mm, <laughs> yeah. You'll have to tune in to find out. <laughs> uh, and Conleth Hill plays Sergeant PJ Collins. Um, uh, That's right. Yes, and, and, and you, you and his character get together. We do, yes. There's a lovely, lovely tentative romantic story between the pair of them, but it's... Um, it's filled with complications yes. and sensitivities and vulnerabilities because, unfortunately, Breed is married. But uh, uh, it's actually quite a beautiful love story. Um, and uh, yeah, it was. It was. Um, it was. I, I really enjoyed. I, I really enjoyed playing Breed. I must admit, it's one of the most interesting characters I've ever played. And I read an interview you gave about. There's, there's a, a scene in it, a, a love-making scene, a sex scene, whatever you want to call it, between yourself and PJ. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and you were saying that you'd talk the talk, now you had to step up to the, the bedroom, so to speak, or the play, <laughs> because, um, you know, normal-looking people having sex on screen and, and you'd been talking about that and here was your opportunity to be involved in something. And so it was a big thing for you. It, it, it was. I mean, not, not the filming of it necessarily, but it's more because I suppose uh, we, we're all used to seeing certain things on screen and certain characters are expected to have um, leading lives or romantic lives. And we don't really sort of um, expand that vocabulary a lot. Mm. You know, we don't get to see anything different from that. So um, and I sort of knew there would be a lot of chat around it because you don't, you you rarely, we're not very honest, I think, when it comes to sort of portraying a, a lot of, 
what, what life is about so much, which is about tenderness and love and expressing that. And we tend to sort of lie a lot when it comes to uh, film and TV. Um, so this is actually quite a, uh, I think, quite, uh, realistic in that myself and you know breed and pj are very real and recognizable people mm. you know we, we we can identify with them an awful lot more than um than i don't know beautiful hollywood i mean we are rides but you know like <laughs> beautiful you know like the sort of hollywood hollywood-esque kind of features i'm, I'm certainly not putting myself down you know um but uh but like that that idea of um of just of what we know which is just mm. lovely lovely tenderness um yeah and it was uh yeah i was a bit nervous but sure who wouldn't be nervous no yeah and Siobhan had an unfortunate accident in the middle of filming well i had a day off and i was down in skibbereen and i was cycling to the beach because last summer was so gorgeous weatherwise and didn't i fall off my bike and uh, right in the middle of filming and uh, I had to be uh, rushed to the hospital. I, I I broke it very badly, very badly. I'm still sort of limping around on a bad day, but um, mm. it's you know at least I have it. Um, and uh, so we, uh, I, I basically messed up filming an awful lot, as you can imagine, with the schedule. Everything is so highly organised, mm. which it needs to be. But our crew and our production team were so extraordinary. They managed to pull everything together, and uh, it's really quite remarkable what they did. Really Really, really quite remarkable. But it does mean that I was out of hospital and put into the Skibbereen um, nursing home. <laughs> Right. For the rest of filming, <laughs> because I needed I needed that extra care. I needed my dressings changed a couple of times a day. I was on medication. I was in a wheelchair. Um, so that was the best place. Hold on, to hold on, me. hold on. So, so you you continued <laughs> filming, and then of an evening yeah. you returned to the nursing home. Is that it? <laughs> You don't see Brad Pitt doing that, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I did that for the people of Ireland. Oh, I, I you're got You're such out a hero. You're such bed. a hero. I am a hero. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so no, I, I um yeah, I, I, I would be wheeled out to set and with the immense help and kindness and uh, intelligence of our production company and crew, I managed to get the rest right. of the and, and the cast as well. And did himself arrive down at any stage? He did. He came on the day I came out of hospital. So fair play, Graham. Yeah. Um, so I didn't get to see him at all. I was, um, but uh, he, he, he was really... I, I understand he was really pleased with how it's come out. Siobhan McSweeney from The Ray Darcy Show. And that's it for Playback Daily, so mind yourself till next time. <laughs>